1990, there was a song that was released by a guy named Garth Brooks called Unanswered Prayers. How many of you remember this song? Yeah, a lot of you do, right? For those who don't know it, the the basic premise of this song was that uh, Garth Brooks was telling a story about him being married to his wife and how they went back to a football game in his hometown, back at his old high school. And while they're there, they run into his high school sweetheart. And they they all start talking, and, and all of a sudden, these memories start flooding back in Garth's mind. And he says, I remember how in love I was with her. I remember how I prayed each and every day that God would make her mine forever. And if he would just do only this, I'll never ask for anything ever again. And then as they're talking, the conversation falls flat. Kind of an awkward time, nothing really much to say. And then Garth says this kind of funny line. He says, she wasn't quite the angel that I remembered in my dreams. And he walks away happy that God didn't say, sure, she'll be your wife because he had a new wife, right? Now, before I go any further, just for my fellow Bible nerds, I just want to make it clear that this, this song is not a uh, faithful theological exposition of how God answers and responds to us in prayer. It's just a fun song. But the idea in that song is that uh, sometimes when we pray for something, God says, uh, no, I'm not giving you that. I'm giving you something else. I have something better. Well, that's the, kind of the, the premise of the sermon series that we're in right now is called Don't Pray This. And instead of, of God giving us something other than what we ask for, we're talking about giving us, God giving us exactly what we ask for. And we say, don't pray this because when you ask for something like strength or wisdom, God will give it to you. You just may not like how you get there. Our reading today is from, is from James chapter 1. And James opens his letter. It's a letter to uh, Christians who are spread out, who are dispersed. And he says, I'm James. He introduces himself to them and just makes sure they know who's writing the letter and says, I'm James, a servant of God and of Lord Jesus. And he starts off right away, very bold. After he introduces himself, boom, he gives him a, a real hard hit. And he says, be very happy when you're tested in different ways. You know that such testing of your faith produces endurance. He says, be very happy when when you're being tested. Be happy about that. Now, this translation uses the word happy, but James, another translation says that count it as joy when you're tested. Count it as joy when you actually encounter trials of all sorts of things. In the midst of it, James isn't saying, oh, put out a happy smile on your face and pretend everything's fine when you're suffering. He says, no, know that you've got, you should have a spiritual joy knowing that in this difficult time, God is working in and through what you're going through. It's almost to summarize it, James says, the pain that you feel today will be the fruit that you bear tomorrow. The pain we feel today will be the fruit we bear tomorrow. This is a a very difficult truth to kind of let our minds sink in and and even accept because what that means is if you pray, God, please give me strength, he's going to say, okay, the only way to do that is through trial. It's through hard times. Now, this kind of thing can be hard to wrap our minds around and it's something that I've had to remind myself of multiple times over this past year. 
For those of you who don't know our story, my family and I moved here about 10 months ago, and um, we've been getting acclimated, and, and we uprooted our family who, where we had been for 18 years. My wife and I have four children, uprooted everybody, transplanted over to Houston and to St. Mark. And it's, it's had its trials. Now, to be clear, the people here at St. Mark, all of you have been amazing. Pastor Matt and the staff and the leadership here at St. Mark has been amazing. There's so many people who have brought us in and included us and treated us like family and welcomed us, and we couldn't have done it without you. It's, made, uh, it's been an Im- Im- immeasurable blessing to be able to have folks like you in our lives here. So that part's been great. But as many of you know from a move, <clears throat> along with a move comes some, some complications and, you know, trying to get acclimated to new schools and new ways of living and, and some things with our house took a while to sell and that was stressful and all these kinds of things just slowly add up and they can create stress and tension and trial. My wife and I both had to constantly remember that we felt that God called us to be here. We felt God's call in our life clearly to move and be here. So we had to remember that just because it's difficult doesn't mean God's not in it. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean God isn't doing something in it and with it. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. God doesn't say, I want you to be comfortable above all else. I want your life to be easy and simple. In fact, very often, After we start following Jesus, after we believe and confess our faith in him and repent, life can get harder. We can be attacked more. We can struggle more with sin. Now, if life is easy in times, if God, if you're comfortable with some times, that's great. Praise God. That's a good gift. That's okay. But he doesn't call us to live in a permanent life of comfort. Because as James said, without that trial, there is no growth. There's no strength. The way I like to think about this or illustrate this is is with a a stress test. It's a visual that helps me remember this. If you've ever been on an airplane, whether in the air or even on the ground sometimes, you may have seen the wings like move a little, right? They're not flapping like a bird, but they they move a little bit. And the first time you see it, it can be a little off-putting. And you may think, why is that big metal thing that's keeping me in the air bending, right? But they're designed to do that. They're designed to have a little give. And the way that engineers know how this should happen is because they they stress test it. They put it through and see what it can handle. So I found this video of a stress test of an Airbus aircraft, and it's been sped up a bit and looped a bit so you can get the full picture. But this is what they do to stress test a wing. Now, if I ever saw a wing bend that much while I was in the air, I would panic, yeah. But that's what they do to see what it can do. Now, it's not supposed to stay in that position. That's not where it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to stay under that much stress and duress. But it is there to see how far it can go and then to come back to its resting place. God does the same thing in our trials. We're not supposed to stay in a trial forever. God doesn't say, you're going to sit here and suffer for the rest of your life just because that's what I want. He says, no, I'm going to put you through the test, but not in order to break you, in order to shape you. And he says, and I will give you strength. 
In this trial, you won't have to sit there and suffer and be alone. I am there with you. If you don't have the strength to do it, I'm there with you giving you my strength. That's his promise. That's why James says, count it as joy when you, can sit, when you encounter trials. Count it as joy. So when we're in the midst of, of testing, there's a few things that happen to us. When we're tested, we, we respond in different ways. And one of the ways, the first thing we do when, when we're tested is we often uh, tend to focus on the things that, that really matter. Our, our focus gets refined. So when we're, when we're struggling, when we're burdened, usually the lawn and the manicuring and the mowing of the lawn is a little less important. When we're suffering, we may not care as much about who, who won the game last night. We, we tend to focus on those people around us. We prioritize relationships. We prioritize our thoughts even. And this is often where people will even dive more into the word and want to go to church even more because they're hurting and suffering. And all of a sudden, their focus is refined. Second thing that happens is we begin to reach out to God even more in all new ways. When things are, are going well, our prayers may be, God, thank you for this day. It's beautiful. Oh, thanks for that beautiful rabbit I just saw on my walk. Oh, God, thank you for this meal. And all those are good things, and we should thank God for the, for the mundane and the simple and the, the, the normal. But when we are hurting, when we are in depths, our prayer intensifies. We pray prayers in a whole new way from groanings inside of our soul. God, I don't know what's going on. I am lost. I need you. Please show up. What is happening? Psalm 130 says, out of the depths I cried. I lifted up my voice. So when we're, we're in trial, when we are being tested, we prioritize those relationships around us. We focus more on God. We talk to him in a whole new way. And thirdly, we reach out to people. Our dependency on others intensifies and is multiplied. Going through life alone is not how we were designed. Back in the garden, God made Adam and made creation, said it was all good. But you know what wasn't good? Adam being alone. Even God knew that a dude in the woods by himself is not a good thing. And so he said, I'm going to make a partner. I'm going to make a helper, a partner for you. It's not good for man to be alone, so he made Eve. See, we were created to be in relationship, not just with our spouse, but with family, with friends, with our church community. And when we are in the depths of despair, those are the people we really lean on. Those are the people we talk to. Those are the people we call on the phone or we text and like, I can't do this anymore. Those are the people we need to encourage us. So then I ask you two questions. One, do you have somebody in your life who can be that person for you? I hope you do. If not, it's time to start reaching out. And two, are you that person for anybody? Can you be that person for somebody? Can you handle 
the burdens of somebody else in order to strengthen them and lift them up and be a support? Can you handle somebody telling you their deepest thoughts, their sins, their confessions, their, their pain without you walking away going, I'm glad that's not my life, they're crazy. Can you do it without bringing it up later and throwing it in their face? Because that's how trauma and hurt happens. It's difficult, and the Bible says to bear one another's burdens, and that means we're taking on someone another's burdens partly. That means if they're in despair, guess what? If we're taking on their burdens faithfully and biblically, we're, we're, we've got some despair now. We're grieved, but we all need it, and we all need to support and give it. That's what happened in this Pentecost. They were gathered in a room together, in an area together. See, Jesus had concluded his earthly ministry, and he was going to be, he was, going, he was leaving them. He said, I'm leaving you. I'm going back to my Father, and I'm gone, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm always with you, and I'm sending a helper. I'm sending someone to be with you, but just wait. He didn't say, go wait alone. Go wait in your houses. You'll be fine by yourself. He said, no, wait together. And that's what they did. They, they were together. They were living life together. They're in prayer together. They're going, I don't know. I don't know who the helper is. When's he coming? What's happening? I have no idea. Let's just hang out together and pray and wait. And eventually, the Holy Spirit came. And the Bible says that the Spirit came, and these typical blue-collar workers, probably mostly uneducated, were able to now speak fluent foreign languages and go preach in the streets to a city full, and the Holy Spirit added 3,000 to the church that day. That was the birth of the church in one day. The Holy Spirit did a miraculous work as they were all gathered and as they were together and as they waited on the Lord. One of the people that was in that room was a guy named James. James was... uh, the guy that we were reading from the text today. The guy that said, count it all joy when you, when you have trials and suffering. James was in that room. Now, if you know anything about the, the, the apostles or anything about the Bible, you're probably familiar with Peter, James, and John. This isn't that James. You may even know a little bit more and know that, oh, there's another disciple named James, James, the son of Alphaeus. That, that's not this guy either. See, this James... Was, was kind of a, a new convert. He hadn't believed in Jesus for very long. See, this James had, had an interesting relationship with Jesus. Because see, James was Jesus' brother. Not, not brother in the Lord or brother in Christ. No, his, his, actual, his, like, his half-brother. The Bible says that Mary and Joseph did not consummate their, their marriage until after Jesus was born. But then in other places, talks about Jesus and names his brothers and says Jesus had brothers and names some of them, including John, and even alludes to him having multiple sisters. So Jesus had half-siblings, and James was one of them. Now, I kind of feel bad for James, because can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother, and like you get in an argument, and you go to your mom, and they're like, hey, mom, we got Jesus did this. She's like, eh, it's probably your fault. It's not Jesus, it's you. That'd be really hard. And that kind of contention may have been a, a normal part of, of his life. 
Because we see later, as Jesus is, is in his earthly ministry, that his family kind of thought he was losing it a bit, losing his mind. He was out there, and they tried to pull him away from ministry for a bit to, to check his mental health. And then John talks about a time when Jesus was with his brothers, and they had this conversation. John says that Jesus later traveled through Galilee. He didn't want to travel in Judea because Jews there wanted to kill him. The time for the Jewish, Jewish festival of booths was near. Now this next part, I wish there was like a sarcasm font or something that we could definitely know, but this next one sounds like his brothers are being pretty snarky with him. So Jesus' brothers told him, hey, leave this place and go to Judea. You know that place where there's a hit out on you? Go to Judea so that your disciples can see the amazing things you're doing. You're doing all this miracle work. You're doing, you're doing uh, healings. You want everybody to see? Go to Judea and do it. Go to the big city where they want to kill you. Go do it there. No one does these things secretly that you're doing that wants to be known publicly. If you do these things, you should let the world see you. Now, we don't know specifically if they were joking around or what. But John gives us an insight in the next verse. John says, even his brothers didn't believe in him. So Jesus' family wanted to, kind of thought he was, he was losing it. And now they're arguing, arguing for him to go to a city where there's a death warrant out for him. And they didn't believe in him. That's James. That's the guy who wrote this scripture today. But then, a few months later, all of a sudden, James is sitting in a room waiting on the Holy Spirit and worshiping Jesus as Lord. Something happened. Something happened between when James was rejecting his brother and now worshiping his brother. Something happened that changed everything. That moment, that time, was when Jesus defeated death. That was the resurrection of Christ. See, James knew that his brother was on the cross. James was grieving that process and probably grieving his life, saying, we never reconnected. We, had, we just had this separation between us. And then he sees his Lord risen. He sees his brother back from the dead a few days later. And he says, my God, what have I done? He says, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for the way I treated you. I'm sorry for the way I hated you. No longer do I hate you. Now I love you. No longer are we distanced. Now I worship you. No longer do I want to revile you. Now I want to bow down before you. We are saved by grace through faith. There's nothing we can do. We can't choose to believe in Jesus. We are given faith by the Holy Spirit. We're not saved by evidence and believe just because of evidence. But I'll tell you what, this is a very compelling piece of evidence because I bet this is the only time in the history of the world that a brother has worshipped his brother as God. If any of you have siblings, I highly doubt you think your brother is God and you want to bow before him. But that's exactly what happened here. See, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He lived a life that we should have lived and he went all the way to the cross. He took death to defeat it. He took our sin willingly. He let it happen to him. He says, I give my life willingly. Do what you want, but you really have no power to kill me. I laid down my life. 
So he took on sin, he took on your sin, took on my sin, laid it down and defeated it and proclaimed victory to the prisoners and the captives and set them free. And he said, you are now free. And that sin that I have taken from you, I have destroyed. And now this life that I have, I give it to you. He said, your life, your life is because of me. And he said, my life is now your life. My freedom is now your freedom. And he sent the Spirit. He sent the Spirit to birth the church. And he said, this will never stop. No matter what is done, no matter what wars happen, no matter what famine, this will never stop. The church of God goes forth by the power of the Spirit no matter what. And so not a government, not a war, not a lockdown, not anything can shut down Christ's church. And he says, now, you, St. Mark, you, had the same call that the disciples had, that the apostles had, that Jesus' followers had to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus just like they did so that the word of God can continue to go forward. Today is a day of celebration. Today is your birthday, the birth of the church we celebrate on Pentecost. Let me pray over you now with words from Paul that he prayed over one of his churches. God, I ask you to give us a gift from the wealth of your glory. I pray that you would give us inner strength and power through your Holy Spirit. Then Christ will live in us through faith. I also pray that love may be the ground into which we sink our roots and on which we have our foundation. This way, with all of your people, God, we will be able to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is for us. God, may we be your people. May we follow you all of our days. We will know Christ's love, which go far beyond any knowledge. We are praying this so that we may be completely filled with you, God. Glory belongs to you, God, whose power is at work within us. By this power, God, you can do infinitely more than we ask or imagine. Glory belongs to you, God, in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time and all eternity. We pray this in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus.